After you place your marker there, take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, that will be our first reading this morning. If you'd like, go ahead and place a marker there because we'll be flipping back quite uh, back and forth quite a bit from 1 Peter chapter 5 throughout our lesson today. It is certainly good to see everyone here. We do have a number who are away from us, but we do have a few visitors with us, and we're grateful that you're here. Hope you'll come back any chance you have to come and worship with us. I'm not sure what got me thinking about this, but I was looking back through my old sermons, and over almost 14 years of preaching, I didn't have a single lesson looking at the qualifications of elders and deacons. Now, understand, it's not that we haven't taught these been teaching these things, oftentimes we would look at them uh, in a Bible class setting or something like that, uh, but it was just something that the more I thought about, the more it's like, well, I kind of need to put together something about elders and deacons. And the more I studied it, the more I realized that it would be a really good series of lessons. And so this morning, we'll be starting a series looking at elders and deacons. This morning, we're going to focus mainly on the duties and the responsibilities of elders. Lord willing, just as a preview for the upcoming weeks, next week we'll probably take a look at the um, qualifications of an elder. The week after that we'll look at what is a deacon, the duties and responsibilities of a deacon, and then we'll wrap up the series looking at the qualifications of deacons. But as we think about elders and deacons in a church, you know, one of the first things I think we need to make sure that we understand is just what are elders? You know, if you were to go in the religious world and you were to start, start talking to people about elders or, you know, a lot of the terms that you'll hear are pastors or bishops, the world has a very different definition of who these people are, what this office really entails. Well, instead of looking at a denominational doctrine or looking at any other kind of doctrine, let's go to the Bible. I love the song that Brother Luke read or saying, give me the Bible. That's the source of truth. That's where we turn to find out what God's word says about it. So here in 1 Peter chapter 5, in the first four verses, we see Peter tells us exactly what an elder is. As we read these verses, I want you to point, I want you to make a mental note. There are three terms that Peter uses here to describe an elder. Starting in verse 1, he says, The elders, there's one, The elders who are among you I exhort, I whom am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd, there's two, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. And there's your third one. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those who are of those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So those three terms we see here, that describes what an elder is. First, it's an elder. Well, that by, by, by itself denotes that this is an older individual. This is someone who has life experience, especially life experience of being a Christian. We think about this term shepherd. Another way that we could have defined this term in other places is translated as a pastor. The Greek word here has that, that, that word pastor there. It brings forth the idea of one who protects 
and they watch over a group of God's people. The idea of a shepherd, a pastor. Well, finally, that word overseer. Other places, that word is translated as a bishop. Well, this denotes somebody who they're, they're responsible for directing the congregation. They oversee, they're responsible So from these three terms, we understand what an elder is. But as we've said, in the religious world, people want to take these three terms and they want to split them apart. And they want to try to have different offices with different definitions, with different roles within the church. But what we see here is that they are the same office. An elder, a shepherd, and a bishop. Those are all three the same thing. One other slight note, and this, this is a little bit of a tangent on this, but whenever I tell somebody that I'm a preacher or that I'm a, a minister or an evangelist, you know, they, so they always come up with the same response. Oh, you're a pastor. When, the, when you look at the religious world, people look at preachers and pastors as the exact same thing. And so let's ask ourselves, are these two terms the same thing? Well, let's go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. I said, place the mark here in 1 Peter 5, but let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. And let's read verse 11. Because as I've said, oftentimes people will use these two terms interchangeably. And what I mean by that is, well, if they call you a preacher, then you're a pastor. If you're a pastor, then that means you're a preacher. They just, they mean the same thing. Most of the time when I'm discussing with somebody about the fact that I'm a preacher, they'll, they'll say I'm a pastor and say, no, I'm a preacher. Well, does it really matter? It's just a term, right? Does it really matter what they call you? You know, this is what we call, we call our preacher a pastor. You call it a preacher. It's the same thing. Well, does it really matter? We're here in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read verse 11. Remember in chapter, in verse 1, Paul is trying to get the church at Ephesus to walk in unity, to be unified together. In the book of Corinthians, Paul would talk about how everybody has a different role to play. Just as the body is made up of different members, so too is God's church made up of different people with different skills and different responsibilities. Well, here in verse 11, Paul is making that same point. It talks about he himself gave some to be apostles, well, we don't have apostles anymore. Because remember, to be an apostle, there were two qualifications you had to meet. You had to be a disciple of Christ, and you had to be a follower of him. You had to witness his resurrection. Oh, nobody's witnessed Jesus as Jesus resurrected. Nobody has meets those qualifications, so we don't have apostles anymore. He says some prophets. Well, we don't have prophets anymore either. We have the holy prophetic word confirmed to us. It's completed. There's no more need for those. So there's no apostles, there's prophets anymore. But then he continues on. Not every single one of these deals with spiritual gifts. He says some evangelist. Evangelist. Well, that's the same word as a minister. That's the same word as someone who preaches God's word. So preacher, evangelist, minister, they're all talking about the same thing. Some people are evangelists. Then he says some pastors. Well, if they're one of the same, why would Paul make a distinction here that there's an evangelist and then there's a pastor? If they're the exact same thing, then Paul is just basically repeating himself. Why would he do that? Well, the implication there is they're different. They're two separate offices. They're two separate responsibilities. 
Now, that being said, does that mean that a preacher can't be a pastor? Well, no, I don't think the scriptures teach that, as, teach that at all. You look at passages like 1 Timothy chapter 5, where Paul is dealing with how to honor elders, honor those who have this office. And one of the things he says in verse 17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So here Paul is talking about, or yeah, Paul is telling Timothy, there are some preachers that do have that office of elder. Yes, they are a preacher, and yes, they are a pastor, but they're not mutually exclusive. You don't have to be a pastor in order to be a preacher. You don't have to have been a preacher at some point to be a pastor. These things are different. They're not the same. You know, you think about Peter. We read there in 1 Peter chapter 5 where Peter says that he himself was an elder. Did we not? Peter says he was an elder. Well, what else was Peter? Well, he was an apostle. He was a preacher of God's word. And he was an elder. He, were, he was all three of those things. Have you ever noticed when you read Paul's writing, Paul never refers to himself as an elder. He refers to himself as an apostle. He refers to himself as a preacher, but he never refers to himself as an elder. Why not? Because he didn't meet the qualifications. Keep that in the back of your mind. Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week. But he did not meet the qualifications of being an elder. So he was a preacher, yes. He was an apostle, absolutely. Paul wasn't an elder. He did not have this office, the same office that Peter would have had. These are things that we know, but I think that because there's so much confusion in the religious world, it doesn't hurt to lay that groundwork. It doesn't hurt to lay that foundation of what is an elder. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to think about the idea of what are the responsibilities of an elder? You know, what does an elder actually do? You know, what does that office entail? What are their duties? What are their responsibilities? And so we're going to go through this morning and we're going to look through the scripture and see what God's word tells us about elders. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll spend a lot more time in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus 1, Lord willing, next week. But the very first thing that I want us to think about when we think about the, the position or the office of being an elder, it's a work. This is not just some honorary title that we bestow on somebody because they're an old Christian, because they're an old man. No, this is not just simply a title. It is work. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the, the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Understand that if a man is going to serve the position of an elder... It is a lot of work. And can I suggest to you this morning that oftentimes it is a thankless work. And what I mean by that is when a congregation is doing well, when it's thriving, when it's growing, when God's word is being spread, how often do you sit back and think, man, I'm so glad we have good elders at this congregation. I'm so glad the elders are doing their job. But oftentimes it's a very thankless job because people don't actively see what the elders are doing. But I'll tell you what, though, when a congregation hits a speed bump, 
when something happens that people don't like or they disagree with, oh, those elders, they, they don't know what they're doing. Well, they take a lot of blame. Now, understand, I'm not saying that you take the position of an elder just for praise. But elders can be a very thankless job. But understand, it is work. It is an extremely important work. So net, first and foremost, understand that about their responsibilities and what they do. They're constantly working for God's kingdom. Well, I had you place a marker in 1 Peter. Let's go back to 1 Peter 5 and let's reread a few of these verses just to make sure we really hammer home the idea of what an elder does. Let's reread verses 2 and 3 and let's take some of the things that Peter says here about elders and let's make some applications. Verse 2 once again says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That idea of being a shepherd, what does a shepherd do? You know, one of the most beautiful pictures of a shepherd in the Bible, yes, it's Jesus, but obviously we always think about Psalm 23, right? When you think about a shepherd, Psalm 23 is probably one of the first things that you think about because this is a psalm dedicated entirely to that idea of being a shepherd. Now understand that David is talking about God being his shepherd, absolutely. And I'm not trying to change that context. But a lot of what God does for us as our shepherd, so too elders do for the congregation. Let's go back and let's just read Psalm 23. Not a long psalm. But think about this in terms of elders, about those who shepherd the church, those who shepherd a congregation. David says in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like I said, obviously David is talking about God being his shepherd. God is the one who's leading. But do we not see a lot of the attributes, a lot of the work that elders do for a congregation in those verses? They lead. They watch over they anoint, they help. It's the same thing. That's what an elder does for the flock. And I think in verse 3, of back in 1 Peter chapter 5, is just such an important verse about being an elder. Did you notice there in verse 3, it says, be an example to the flock. When we think about a shepherd, I want you to picture, your, picture a flock of sheep with a shepherd in your mind. Where is the shepherd? Is the shepherd behind the sheep with his, rat, with his rod just whacking the sheep, making them, driving them on? That's not the picture you get, is it? Where's the shepherd? The shepherd's in front. The shepherd is the one leading the sheep. They're leading by example. When the sheep come to a stream, the shepherd is the one that walks through first. Why? Because the shepherd is trying to t show the sheep it's safe. That's what a shepherd does. And brethren, that's what elders do for a congregation. They lead. They're not dictators. 
They're not out there whipping the congregation, keeping them in line. No, they're leading by example. That's what an elder does. They lead the flock through the example, the way that they live, the life that they live. They show the flock what to do because they're following Jesus. Do you see the point here? That's what an elder does. Well, what else does an elder do? Well, let's go to the book of Acts and let's go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. If you remember the context here, Paul and Barnabas have come back from preaching, preaching God's word. And there's a big dispute that has arisen among the Jewish Christians. Some Jewish Christians are going around teaching that, yes, it's fine that Gentiles are coming into the kingdom, but they have to be circumcised. It's fine that you're going and preaching to Gentiles, but are you telling them to be circumcised? Because if they're not circumcised, they can't be part of God's kingdom. They can't be Christians. And, of course, Paul and Barnabas are saying that's not true at all. Absolutely not. No, it doesn't matter if a Gentile is circumcised or not uncircumcised. And so this big dispute has come up. Well, who do they go to? Let's start reading in verse 4. It says, And when they, this is that, that delegation that they sent down to Jerusalem because they want to discern the truth. It says, When they come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. You know, you look at that, and you know, oftentimes I look at this past and think, why didn't they just go to the apostles, right? I mean, they have the apostles there. Why does it matter who they went to? They should have just went straight to the apostles, and the apostles could have told them. But no, they went specifically to the apostles and elders. Look at verse 6. Now, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Once again, why would they call them the elders? They have the apostles. Isn't that enough? Well, no, they bring the elders in too. Why? Because they want to make sure truth is taught. Elders, if they're responsible for overseeing, for shepherding the flock, they need to make sure that truth is being taught. And this is just one example of this. Let's go to Titus chapter 1. Like I said, we'll spend a lot more time in, in Timothy and Titus. But in Titus chapter 1, once again, Paul tells us what the qualifications of an elder are. And one of the most important things about being an elder is that using wisdom and understanding in scriptures. Notice in verse 9, speaking about elders, he says, Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole household, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Do you see the point here? Elders are supposed to know what is being taught. Elders are responsible for ensuring that truth is taught. Through their wisdom, through their study, through their understanding of the scriptures, they contend for the faith. That is the duty and responsibility of an elder. Make sure truth is taught. And because of that, Paul tells them in Acts chapter 20, 
that they must take heed to themselves. Once again, you remember the context here. Paul is going back to Jerusalem. He's been warned by Agabus, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to go bound. You're going to be arrested. And he calls the, the Ephesian elders together because he has some last words of admonition to them. And in verse 28, notice what he says. Take heed to yourselves. He's talking to elders. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now notice verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, Men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. What is Paul trying to get them to understand? As an elder, you have to make sure that, yes, truth is being taught, but you better look at yourself first to make sure that what you believe is truth. When Paul says that there in verse, 20, uh, verse 30, he says, from among yourselves. Remember, he's talking to elders. He's warning them. There will be elders who fall away. There will be those who once stood for truth, who no longer will stand for truth. Elders have to make sure that they themselves are still following God's word. That is their responsibility. That truth is taught and that they're still following truth. Take heed to yourselves. That is a job of an elder. What else do we see? Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter, chapter 5. We're not going to read verses 2 and 3 again, but I want to read verse 4. There to be shepherds, there to be overseers, because he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. When we think about elders, elders need to understand that they have to answer to what Paul, uh, Peter refers to here as a chief shepherd someone that they are responsible to the buck doesn't stop with them they're not the lord of the congregation no that's jesus they have someone that they're going to answer to because you think about in verse 20 back in acts chapter 20 we already read this verse as well the elders didn't die for the church the elders aren't the ones who bought the church with their blood. Christ is. You know, sometimes I'm afraid, and we've seen this throughout history, that people who get these titles, get these positions, we might say they get a little big for their britches, right? They start thinking that, oh, well, they're, they're you know, yes, the congregation has elders, but, you know, so-and-so is the head elder. Oh, they're the ones that really make the decision. No, they're not. Elders work together because elders realize that it's not all about them. No, they answer to a chief shepherd, to a ruling elder. I hate to use that term. But that's what Jesus is. He's the chief. He's the boss. Elders need to remember that. Because sometimes, you know, getting titles, getting, getting responsibility, having some semblance of authority, it can get to your head, can it not? You know, what's the old saying? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've got to be careful. Elders must always remember 
that they'll have to give an account for the way that they shepherd, that they answer to a chief shepherd. In fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. The writer tells us, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You know, being an elder is not a job that you take lightly. You want to know why? Because if you, if you want to be an elder one day, and Lord willing, I hope that the young men here, that you want to be an elder. And not just young men. I hope men aspire to be elders. But verse 17 should give you pause. And what I mean by that is, it's not, a, not meant as discouragement, but you take it seriously. This is not a job for the faint-hearted. The writer here says, you're going to give an account for the way that you shepherd. You're going to give an account for the way that you oversaw. You're going to give an account for the way that you acted as elder. You're going to be held accountable. That should, that should scare us a little bit. And that's why I say it's not a job that you, you take lightly. This is a very important position. Can I give you one more thing? Uh, you may think of others, but there's one more thing in my mind that really stands out as the job of an elder. Let's go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Can I suggest to you this morning that one of the responsibilities of an elder is to be there for their flock. I know that sounds like such a duh statement, but I'm going to tell you right now that if a congregation has elders, and if a, if some, if a member of that congregation is struggling, if there's something they need help with, the elders should be the first ones that they call. Because look at what James says here in verse 15, or verse 14. He says, is any, anyone among you sick? Who do you call? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Does that not sound like Psalm 23? You anoint my head with oil. Elders should be that first line of defense. You know, I've often said it, that if anybody needs help, I don't care what time of, time of night it is. I don't care when it is. If you call me at 3 o'clock in the morning, it might take me a second to wake up, but, but I'll, I'll wake up. That's what an elder does as well. An elder is there. I've never heard a story of an elder fussing that somebody called them at 3 o'clock because they wanted to be baptized. I've never heard an elder complain that somebody called them in the, early, early in the morning because they wanted to confess sins to them. I've never heard an elder complain about that. You know why? Because it's their job. And just as a little side note, I just, I'll throw this out here. How can elders do this if they're not among their flock? Do you see where I'm going with this? You know, in the religious world, people treat elders almost as the CEO, the executives of a church. Oh, you know, yes, elder so-and-so will be happy to speak to you, but, but here's his office hours. If you'll call back during these times, then elder so-and-so will be happy to speak to you then. Now, as an elder, you're on call 24-7. 
You're on call because you're there to shepherd, to help. These are just some of the, the duties and responsibilities. But did you notice as we went through these things, and I want to end on this question, end with this, this line of questioning rather. As you think about these responsibilities, is it only the elders' responsibilities to do these things? You know, we're all supposed to be lights in the world, right? Lead by example. Jesus says you're to be the light of the world. A city set on a hill, a light not to be put under a basket. We're supposed to be examples. Are elders the only ones responsible for making sure that truth is taught? You know, John tells us in 1 John 4 verse 1 to test the spirits. You know, I think about Acts 17 when Paul is preaching to the Bereans. What does it say about the Bereans? Well, they were more fair-minded. Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily. It wasn't just the elders' responsibility to do that. No, everybody has a responsibility to ensure that truth is taught. Yes, the elders are going to answer to, to Jesus as the chief shepherd, but don't forget, we're all going to answer to him. Reread John 10, the good shepherd. We'll all answer to Christ. Yes, elders are there to help and support. Brethren, we're supposed to help each other, are we not? Bear one another's burdens. Help each other. I think about what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. You uphold the weak. You comfort the the faint-hearted. We're supposed to help one another. Yes, elders, that is one of their jobs. But it's everybody's job as well. Isn't that kind of funny? Yes, the elders are supposed to lead, but, but we all have a responsibility to do these things. Take out your song books. And turn it over to Brother Luke Selected. Elders are a vital part of any congregation. When you read Titus 1 and verse 5, Paul tells Titus, I left you in Crete so that you may set in order the things that were missing. What was missing? Elders. Congregations need elders. They have so many important responsibilities. But let me say this, and let me make this, let me make this very clear. You don't appoint elders just for the sake of having elders. So many congregations have fallen into this trap. We know we need elders. We have men that are almost qualified. They're they're almost, but we need elders, so let's just go ahead and appoint them elders. I tell you what, if you ever hear someone say, well, they'll grow into the position, run. That is the wrong way to look at it. God's Word sets forth some very clear expectations, very clear qualifications of what an elder is supposed to meet. Lord willing, we'll talk about those next week. But one thing that I want to end on, and I know this has not been a, been a lesson of, of how to become a Christian or anything like that, but I want you to think about this. We at the congregation at Lacey Springs, are we working towards having men who are qualified to serve as elders? Are we working towards that? Are we striving towards that? Now, I'll take a step back and I'll say I believe we are. I fully believe that we are. But I want to leave with this thought. 
If you want to be an elder one day, you don't start when you're 60, 70 years old and wake up and say, I want to be an elder. That, that's usually, nine times out of ten, that's not the way it works. When do you start preparing to be an elder? It's when you're younger. 20s, 30s, 40s. That's when you prepare and you start working towards becoming an elder. Being an elder is not a job you back into. It's a job you prepare for. You work for. And Lord willing, one day, and I pray it's, it's soon-ish, we'll have elders here. And that will be a time of great, that should be a time of great rejoicing. It should be a time that we celebrate. I fully believe that we are working towards that. But it's not just about having elders in, in 10 or, or 5 or 10 years. Lord willing, what happens in 20 and 30 years? Are we preparing that generation to be elders? That's the point. I hope the lesson's been beneficial. Like I said, it, it really covered nothing about how to become a Christian. But I hope that we see that a lot of the, not all, all the responsibilities of an elder, really, we all have a responsibility to be doing these things. There are things that we can be doing. Yes, we may not be able to serve in the capacity of an elder. We may never have that title. But there are all things that we can do for God's kingdom. Like I said, Lord willing, next week we'll look at some of the specific qualifications. We'll spend a lot of time in 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. We'll spend a lot of time in those books. But this morning, if you're here and you're, you've never been buried in the waters of baptism, we'll be happy to help. If you need to study more, if you want to talk to somebody, we'll be happy to help. This morning, if you're here and you recognize that you, you haven't been working in God's kingdom the way that you should, yes, you know there are responsibilities, but you're not fulfilling them. Didn't we just have a lesson about talking about being a pew potato? If you're here this morning and you need help, whether it be confessing of sin, whether it be help with something you're struggling with, help through temptation, whatever the case is, we're here to help one another. Bear one another's burdens. We're here and we want to help. So this morning, if there's anyone subject to the invitation, will you let us know as we stand and as we sing this song?